0: Welcome to Talk with the Texan, Money and Life with Troy Eckert. This program is thought-provoking, informative, entertaining, and down to business. We face facts and ideas about how to make, protect, and build your net worth. You'll get over three decades of frontline experiences and real-life examples of what to do and the pitfalls to avoid. Now, here's Troy Eckert.
1: Hey, 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 everyone. Thank you for joining the show today. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen in. Uh, just to remind everyone, um, I'm coming to you today with uh, information as I see it coming from the front line. Uh, every day of every week, I spend my time working with and talking to uh, affluent movers and shakers. These are individuals that are invested, they're growing businesses, they're self-made millionaires, uh, but it's not always about money. Um, I have spent a lot of time here the last month or two with a pastor at one of the churches I've been going to, and I've had some really great dialogue, and the conversations have been all over the board with regard to financials and real estate and interest rates and uh, tithing at churches and what's going on with regard to the consumers. And so, you know, when I think about the show that I put on every week, I think about what's taking place outside amongst all the individuals from all different walks of life. And what I think about is how it applies to the show that I've created. Now, when I think about money and life, I say this each and every week, you know, a lot of people say, well, don't worry about the money. You just got to have a great life. I look back over many, many people that I know most of my life, which I'll be 58 this coming summer, and I think I can see a distinct difference between those who have successfully worked on developing a life that involved proper money, proper management, proper decisions, and those who have not. And whether you're a teacher or you're a garbage truck driver, whether you're a successful entrepreneur, an inventor, a scientist, a chemical engineer, it's all relevant. I know a lot of people that are engineers that are dirt broke. If they don't get a paycheck this next two weeks. They, they don't have any money. They've, they've done a very poor job planning their life and planning their financials. So when I think of the show as talk with the techs and money and life, I really want to give you information to think about. Now, I've had great feedback uh, from a lot of my investing partners, a lot of people who've come to the show and said, Hey, man, I really like your content. I like what you're doing. And I start looking around, I look at other podcasts and I listen to all these um, so called professional speakers and authors. And wow, I got to be honest with everybody. It's, it's, uh, I'm a very cynical guy. Um, I just find so much of it just full of BS. <laughs> If I get one more person that tells me they're a number one author, they're the number one podcaster, they're the number one influencer, they're the number one coach, or they're a great coach, or I'm going I'm to teach you how to be fit on Zoom. You're going to teach me how to lift weights and exercise and lose weight on Zoom. You're lazy. What you figured out is how you get a bunch of dummies to pay you money, never have your personal services, and you're going to go sit there and tell them how to lose weight. I know how to lose weight. Stop putting food in my mouth. So when I think about my show, I'm trying to give you a little bit more depth. Um, I'm going to tell you that I listen to many of these professionals, and I find them to absolutely be a joke. I listened to one on Saturday, won't say the name. Started off with this long diatribe for 15 or 20 minutes about some ridiculous story. Had this cheese grin on his face the whole time, and. Man, by the time I got to the end, I couldn't listen to him anymore. It was just it was just nonsense. It was just rhetoric. And he comes up with these three great things that, that a CEO or somebody should do. And they're really nonsensical in what he said. It's like the obvious, like, oh, lead your company, think about the future, and focus on the bottom line. Duh. I mean, that's not coaching. That's not advice. That's like common sense 101. Don't take a chainsaw and cut your leg off. Duh. Today, what I want to talk to you about is something that I think that I have found, I have found specifically in the last 12 months, is missing for most people's decision-making process. Most people, whether it's investments or business, and I'm going to touch both. I'm going to touch a little bit on the personal side, but I'm going to touch on the business side as well as the personal side. But here's here's the show today. The show's simple. Is knowing when to exit as important as getting into an opportunity? Knowing when to get out, is that as important as when you get into an opportunity? Well, let's think about construction. When they build a multi-story building, what's called a four-story building, have you ever noticed that they pour the foundation, the the basis for the entire structure, and the next thing they start building is the elevator shaft and the staircase? And why is that? Why would they start building from the inside out and they start building the staircase and it's got the cinder block and you can see it in any new construction, multi-story building. You start looking and what do they do? They do the core of the building, but the core of the building is the exit. So after the foundation, after the idea, the the cornerstone of what they're going to build, the very next thing they do is they start building the exit and then they build the building around the exit after it's been put in place. I've been talking to a guy, seems like a really nice guy. I haven't met him face to face, been talking to him for a couple of months. Um, seems like he's got a great business idea. I find a lot of flaws in it, but that's not because he's got a flawed company. I just think he knows what he knows and doesn't know what he doesn't know. But I keep asking questions that that I want to have help me get to a point of saying, where are we going with this? I mean, I don't mind listening to the idea. I don't mind listening to the Uh, suggestions of what somebody's going to do, but I got to know where you're going with this. Now, this applies to investments and it applies to uh, your personal life and it applies to your career. People will take on a job and say, well, I guess this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be a processor at an architectural firm and I process plans and I do this and I do that and go, okay, so you do it. Man, you find that a year goes by, then three years go by, then four years go by, then five years go by and you're going, well, I'm not making all the money I want to make. Well, you've already missed going back to college a little bit. You've already missed a chance to step up the ladder. You haven't expanded your knowledge. So you're kind of becoming a process. You're you're just moving architectural plans from point A to point B. And, you know, unless you do something dramatically different, that's probably what you're going to do some form or fashion for the next 20 or 30 years. I always wondered as a young uh, young man, I'd go, how did that guy choose to be an engineer, or a manufacturer, or a doctor, or a lawyer, pharmacist, dentist, how'd they choose to be uh, in the cattle business? How'd they choose to be in whatever business they're in. And a lot of times, probably more often than not, probably 80 plus percent of the time it was, I landed in the job because I got an opportunity. It was what was the best decision for me at the time. I took the job. I've been in it 10 or 15 years. I kind of been stuck doing this and this is what I've been doing for 20, 30, 40 years. Well, that's great news except for one thing. Maybe, maybe you would have been better off doing something else. Maybe you'd had more fun, enjoy your life more, made more money, had better health had you done something else. But Nothing really evolved because you put your head down, took a path and stuck with it. Nothing wrong with that if that's what you want. So to me, when I ask the question, is knowing when to exit as important as getting into the opportunity? The answer is absolutely. Because why? Because with 36 years in investments and 36 years in working with self-made millionaires and entrepreneurs, all the way from billions of dollars in net worth all the way down to just barely financially qualified to invest. What I found is there's a general pattern. And the pattern is euphoria at the beginning, uh, complacency in the middle, and surprise at the end. That's it, right? Euphoria. Hey, I'm going to get a new job. Life looks good. I got a paycheck. I get the company sweater. Got my business cards. Life is good. Rock and roll. Here we go. Meet everybody at the coffee, at the lunch table, go out with some friends, wives, kids get together a couple of times and you're three, four years down the road and you're going man, this is not what I thought. I'm not making the money I want. My career is not developing like I want, but I'm stuck. So, what the heck am I supposed to do, right? Well, the reality of it is that's, that's if you're an employee. Let's talk about if you're not an employee. Let's talk about if you're a, an entrepreneur. So, what does an entrepreneur face? Well, I have a great idea. I want to start a business. I want to start a title company. I want to start a landscape business. I want to start a, a product manufacturing or services. I want to be a, a, a land developer, Anything you can think of starts with an idea. The question then is, what do you do with the idea? Now, I can tell you what most people do. They run with the idea. They find some of their own money or somebody else's money. They start with a, I got to get going because I need a paycheck mentality. And they start just throwing ideas together. And there's really no forethought about where they're going or how they're going to get there other than I think I want to be a land developer. So, I'm going to start Contacted people who need dirt moved. I'm gonna go rent myself a bobcat. I'm gonna start moving dirt. I'll hire a couple of guys who work for me and you plow ahead and that's great. But I can tell you right now, you can probably go talk to a lot of guys that are in the land developing business that are not what I would call a, a super large land developing business. And they got 60 days before they can't make the payments on their equipment. They have 60 days so they can't pay rent, they got 60 days so they can't make payroll because they live and die on a treadmill of if I don't keep that machinery moving, if I don't have customers lined out. If there is a lull in the economy, I'm I'm out of business. I don't have any depth. I have no plan. I have no direction. I just started. I bought the equipment. I'm putting money in my pocket and I'm living day to day, but I don't want to tell anybody that because it'd be embarrassing. Now, by the way, this, this whole show is about talking to anybody from 18 years old up to 80 years old because even people in their 60s and 70s are still working. They're still generating money. Whether they need it or not, it's a different story. I've got most of my older clients are in their 65 to 80-year-old range. They are still working. They're either doing their businesses, running their companies, uh, starting new companies. They're investing every day. They're busy. I think sometimes my older clients are busier than anybody below 65. So, they're busy. And when you're busy, you're either busy with businesses you own, companies you own, uh, tasks that you're doing which are business-related, or you're worried about your investments. So, what I'm gonna do is, I'm gonna tackle the business side first. Okay, now remember, the whole theme of this show today is talk with the text and money and life. It's knowing when that if, knowing when the exit is coming or should be coming or when to exit is as important as the opportunity that you're trying to get into. So, let's talk about the business. All right. So, when you start a business or an idea, most people don't ta- even take the time to write it down. I know that because I'll have people that'll say, Hey, I've got a business idea. I'll say, Well, send me, send me a little one-page summary. It takes like three days to get it, and you can tell they just put it together. Or, or you have the opposite. You have somebody that sends you like a 50-page PowerPoint that has all these metrics and Excels and this and assumptions. And I go, You didn't tell me what you're doing. You told me all the mathematical, all the subjective, which is all just BS about what your business is going to do because it's all subjective. You have no clue. You don't know who's going to buy what, when, where, why, how. You're just dropping in an Excel model, figuring out. So, you'd have somebody who's completely ill-prepared, has nothing in writing, or you have somebody who spent all their time by uh, paralysis by analysis. They've, They've written out this great business plan and it never gets off the launching pad. But you have to write it down. So, what you want to try to do is in a simple summary, maybe to the level of you're talking to a 15-year-old. Okay, you're talking to a normal 15-year-old saying, I want to do a business, and this is what it wants, to, what I want to do, this is what it will do. This is the product, the service, this is how I think it's gonna work. And then you have to start writing down some some lists. You gotta start writing down what's gonna fill in that written description, such as, what exactly do you intend on doing? I'm gonna make widgets. Widgets are gonna go into the wagon, the wagons are in high demand there's not enough widgets, there's only two manufacturers that make widgets, there's a big open space for adding additional widgets of high caliber at the right price into this market. It's a growth market. Okay, I get it. You're gonna make a widget. Not that I know what a widget is, but you're gonna make a widget. But at least you were able to explain to me, right? The next thing is, now tell me why you think your idea is gonna work. Why do you think anybody who builds wagons with two manufacturers of widgets is gonna use your widget? You're gonna have to prove yourself, Is your widget any good? Is it certified? Is it high quality? How are you going to demonstrate that? How are you going to get in the door of the people who are the decision makers on the purchase side to be able to convince them to buy your widget? How are you going to get your supplies? What manufacturer are you going to use? So you got this whole list of things you're going to have to fill in, but I call those the analytical empirical details of your written plan. The plan says, what makes you think it's going to work? Write it down. It's going to work because I don't have to get big. It's going to work because they are desperately looking for additional widgets and if I can demonstrate quality widget at the right price and I can deliver a certain level of beginning quantity of widgets, they're going to try me out and I can figure out a way to get in the door. Okay, great. Thank you. That's what I need to see in your plan. Okay, who's your target audience? Well, let me write down a list of everybody I know that is using widgets that is going to be a possible customer. I'm talking from the smallest guy who needs 10 widgets a week to the largest consumer of widgets, maybe Home Depot or Lowe's, says they need a million widgets a week. That's my target audience is anybody who can pay me a profit for making widgets that will allow me to sell my product, receive a profit, and do it in a cost-efficient and labor-intensive, non-intensive, or labor-efficient manner. That's what I want in my business plan. Okay, so I know who your target market is. Now, that's a pretty broad market. I would require it to be much skinnier, but I'm just going to get to my point about the exit, right? Tell me how it's going to fail. This is the one everybody hates. And every uh, literally, 99 out of 100 people I talked to about ideas, both in investments and in business, they hate that idea. I just came from an investment conference this weekend and another one just like it about a month ago. And, and I'm like the guy that's throwing water on their fire. I'm in one of the toughest businesses there is because we have lots and lots of failures. I'm in the oil and gas business. So, you go drill 100 wells over a two-year period and probably 70 are dry or, or less than economically favorable. So, I'm used to failed ventures as a result of the nature of the business that I've been in for 37 years. But the difference is many other investments, many businesses that you start, many, many entrepreneurial efforts you start, you ask people what their failure is and they don't want to admit it. It's, it's like the, uh, the challenge of the ego. Oh, no, no. I've thought about that. I've thought about this. That won't happen. This won't occur. No worry about supplies. Plenty of customers. I'm a genius. It just will not fail. I think they're mixing up optimism with reality. I think they're mixing up a wish for a reality. The reality is there are terminal failures in every venture. Your job is to identify those terminal failures and put it up front. For example, how will it fail? You have a heart attack and drop dead the next day. You have a stroke and you can't work anymore. You get in a car wreck and you're tied up in a hospital bed for 60 days and all your ideas go out the window and the money that you've invested goes out the window because nobody gets paid, nobody goes to work and you're not pushing the cart up the hill. Key man sensitivity, maybe that's your problem. Maybe that's your terminal failure. Maybe your terminal failure is great idea very limited capital. Maybe it's a capital intensive business. Maybe you can go sell a million widgets, but until you get paid for those million widgets, you can't buy the next million widgets worth of supplies. So, you have this lag time between selling, getting your money back, and then trying to rebuild the next widget. So, your customers decide, we can't rely on you. You show up with widgets every other month. Well, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm hurrying. It doesn't matter if you're hurrying or not. I can't build wagons that use your widgets if you can't give me widgets consistently with assurance every month. You're going to have to look at the terminal failure and how the idea you have will fail. What level do you get for your, uh, for your own accomplishments? In other words, what is it about this business idea that makes you feel that it's for you? So, I got an idea book. I've mentioned this on previous shows. I got an idea book and I have just dozens and dozens of business ideas that I write down. I'm kind of a weird guy the way I think. I'm always thinking about ways to improve different ideas and businesses and I write them down in a book so I don't forget them. And I go back and i visit them 12 months, 24 months, five years after the idea and I start going, okay, that one's antiquated, that one's done, no longer applicable, things have changed, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, the reality is I'm always going to ask to what level do I get my own feeling of satisfaction or accomplishment by doing it? Now, why is that? Well, I might be really good at uh, cleaning out swimming pools. I'm really good at hooking it up, turn on the pump, clean the pool out. When I'm done, the pool is shiny and blue. It's not what I want to do for a living. I don't want to go clean somebody else's pool. I don't want to go clean my own pool. I just know how to clean my pool really well when and if I have to do it. That is not something that I agree to do. That's not something I want to do. And I get zero accomplishment or satisfaction or feel good by cleaning my own pool. So that's what you want to make sure. Make sure that because you're good at software programming, you're good at accounting or you're good at whatever, manufacturing, you're good at engineering, design. Make sure that that is actually something you want to do and not something you're doing because of default, meaning you were good at it. They stuck you in there. You stuck yourself in there. You started a job that you re- or a career or a business that you thought was really good. And you go, yeah, that's not what I want to do. Do you know how many midlife crises there are? Because people get to be 35, 45 years old. They say, I've been doing for 20 years something I absolutely hate. I'm going to go do something else. I just talked to a guy today. He's, he's doing some work for him, And he said, hey, I've, I was a police officer for 30 years. I starved to death. So he said, I started a fence company on the side been doing fences for as long or longer than I've been putting in uh, my time as a police officer. I said, what do you think? He goes, well, I like the benefits of the police officer, but it was dangerous. I make a lot more money with fences. He goes, but I was able to enjoy both careers at the same time. And when I retired from the police uh, officer's role, he said, I was able to take on my fence building business full time and I'm a happy guy. That's a guy who found balance in his career, balance in his economic benefits, and was able to use his skills to do a dual role, which is safety, satisfaction, retirement, pension from the police force, and a sideline business that allows him to build a fencing business, which is obviously a very good business. I've waited for months for him to get there because he's in such high demand. Okay, that's part of what can happen. Let's roll this over into investments. Now, it shows money and life, right? So, part of, Having money is having the right decisions in life. So let's talk about investments. Now, this is the scariest part because I'm going to tell you right now, most of you, when you think about investing, you don't think about starting a business as an investment. And the fact is, it's absolutely incorrect. Your time is the most precious asset you have. Somebody says, hey, I want to sit down and have a meeting with you and talk about this idea. First thing I think is, one, do I know you and do I want to invest my time in listening to you? And that's the honest truth. Now, maybe I didn't think that 30 years ago. Today, I do. Today, I'm thinking, I don't know you that well. I need a lot more detail before I'm going to commit an hour of my time. And even then, I want to know what you want to talk about as far as uh, tying up my time. So, I looked into an investment about a week ago and it's online. It was on Facebook and said, hey, if you're interested in this particular whiskey product and you want the offering documents, go ahead and send it to me. So, I fill it all out. I've yet to get the documents. What I get is a salesman saying, we want to set up a call with you. We want to do this. You got to fill it. And I wrote back and I said, you offered, I didn't ask, you offered that if I fill out my information that you, in fact, will send me the offering documents for this whiskey barrel investment, which you say you're promoting. And what do you do? You reject my request for your documents. You want to have a call with me. Well, if I wanted to call, I'd go stand on a street corner and ask a, a stripper to, to yell at me across the street or I get a, a drug dealer to holler at me that he's got some drugs for sale. I asked you to send me what you said you would send and you don't send it. So when it comes to investments, I look at my time as being the most valuable asset. How much do can I rely on whoever I'm investing with, the product, the company, the sector? How much of my time is it going to take up? The more time it takes up, the less I'm interested that's the most valuable precious commodity that I have. If you're asking me to go buy homes and fix them up and flip them, the answer is absolutely not. If you're asking me to go start a restaurant chain or franchise and I got to work inside the restaurant, the answer is absolutely not. If you want me to set up a landscaping business and I'm going to have to go sit on a mower and mow the grass, the answer is absolutely not. Why? Because I don't have the time. I want to balance my life with my money and I want my money to be smartly made and I want my money to be smartly invested by figuring out how to expand and and duplicate, if not make triple the amount of time that I have available. But when I do come to looking at investments, it's pretty simple. What do you know about that investment class? Don't get me wrong. (laughs) Some of you are nervous, nervous Nellies. I don't know anything about crypto, so I don't want to hear about it, discuss it or know about it. Let me tell you the best way to learn not to hit your thumb with a hammer. Y'all ready? Hit it one time and watch how many times you get your thumb out of the way of the hammer. Sometimes the best lessons in life are the ones where you try something and you learn the experience of either pain or gain. Sometimes what you have to do is you have to figure out what you don't know and what you do know. So here's my point. I'm gonna learn about a whole lot of different investment sectors and a whole lot of different investment opportunities whether I intend on investing in them or not. Same reason why I asked for that whiskey barrel information. I wanted to see how they structured their deal. I wanted to see what they were talking about. I wanted to see what their investment model looked like. I wanted to see what that industry or space looked like. I wanted to see why they felt like it was a great investment at the time. I wanted to know all I could about that investment because if it all panned out and it looked great by my own analysis, maybe I'll invest. The flip side is I want to know what the market thinks is a good investment because if I want to promote something that they should invest in, I have to know what the market considers to be viable. So you need to know what you know. You need to know what you're good at. If you're not really good at risk investments, you can't stand risk, no no loss of preservation capital, then you need to avoid risk like the plague. You need to stay out of things that have risk. It means your yield will be lower, but at least you know what you're not going to invest in because you don't want to make part of your exit plan failure. You don't want part of your exit plan meaning to be a complete loss of principal, bankruptcy, liquidation. You want to make sure that your exit plan in the opportunity you choose has some kind of rational end. What does that look like? Do I sell it? Liquidate it? What do I do, right? Um you need to ask yourself how complex is the asset class? Now, I I don't mind that maybe something's in oil and gas, something's in cryptocurrency, something's in cannabis, something's in international investing in mines or precious metals. I get that. I, I actually had a guy that I talked to on precious metals about two weeks ago. I could tell he really knows what he's talking about. He really believes in his strategy. But we were talking slightly two different languages. I'm talking about buying precious metals to hold because I like it. He's talking about buying precious metals to trade on a platform and looking for ins and outs and eggs and ups and downs. said, that's not what I want. I, I'm not looking to be a trader. I'm looking for an investment class that I think is going to help me during inflation. I'm looking for an investment class where I own the tangible assets. I'm more concerned about preservation of capital, slow growth, and having the fewest moving parts, which is why I thought precious metals would work. Nice guy, great information, but we were talking two different languages. So to me, his trading platform became very complex very quick, and my interest level became very low. Now, we're going to take a break here in a second. And we're going to come back to back half the hour and I'm going to give you some examples. I'm going to talk to you about how you can launch a, a, an idea or a business, how you can mature it. Maybe we can figure out when the pinnacle valuation is. And then I'm going to give you some examples that I've gone through in my lifetime that maybe help you understand that why the exit should almost be number one on your list. Now, as I come back, I'm going to get right down to it. So take a break, grab a cup of coffee, come right back. I'm Troy Eckert. Talk with the Texan Money Life. See you in a few.
2: America Business Channel. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
0: This is Talk with a Texan, money and life. To reach Troy Eckert or his guest on the live program, we invite you to call in to 1-86-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790 or send an email to Troy at talkwithatexan.com. Now back to the show.
1: Hey everyone, thanks for coming to the back half of the show. This is Troy Eckert, Talk with the Texan, Money and Life. Today's show, we asked a simple question. Is knowing when to exit something as important as getting into an opportunity from the beginning? In other words, when you have presentations Uh, an opportunity to get into an investment or a business or even a relationship, is it really good to know at the beginning how you're going to get out if in fact you need to get out? If you don't need to get out, then it's it's just a good safety. net. It's kind of like building a uh, escape ladder on a second story building that one day the building may catch on fire, you might be able to get out but if you never have a fire in the building then you have a a unused tool. And what I want to do is just let you know that in, in life, it's probably a good idea to always think about the what ifs, the what ifs, what's going to happen if things don't go right. So what we were talking about before we took a break was we were talking about the investment world. Things like what you might be thinking about before you make an investment. Like, what do you know about a certain investment? Um, How complex is the investment asset class? How many layers are there in the investment? How many people, how many different uh, corporate governance documents are involved between you and the actual asset. you invest in an LLC that owns an LLC that's invested in a partnership that owns assets in another country, you have a managing operating agreement, you have other contracts in place and you're simply an LLC member or you're simply a, a partner in a venture and you're asking yourself, how far are you away from that particular asset? Well, I got news for you. Many of you don't even know when you make an investment in an LLC, you don't own any of those assets. You own a member interested in an LLC. You don't even own what the LLC owns. So you got to ask these kind of questions. How many layers are between you and the asset? You got to start asking yourself common sense. You know, somebody can talk to me very clearly about a particular asset or business or career or industry and I may not know a darn thing about it. So, I'm going to have to take the common sense of what I already know about other industries that I'm more familiar with, other investments I'm already familiar with, other careers I'm familiar with and use that as a foundation of the questions I'm going to ask the expected answers I would get, at least the commonality or similarities between what I already know and maybe the new subject matter. But most of us don't do that. We take our common sense, we park to the side, we go, I don't know anything about that. So, I assume this guy is an expert. I'm assuming he says he's a lawyer. He says he's CPA, said he's consulting, he's been doing it 20 or 30 years. So, he must be the expert. How do you know that? 80% of most people get C minuses. I'm telling you, most people in most industries, they're terrible at what they do. If you were to ask and actually get the great average for your doctor or your CPA or your lawyer, you might be shocked to see how poor they were at the very skill set they're supposed to have. You would be shocked, all right? The other thing is you need to ask yourself in an investment, what are some of the fatal flaws? What are the flaws of the investment? Now, they're not going to tell you. They're not going to tell you. They're not going to tell you that buying that next residential piece of property that you're paying top dollar, that the interest rates are going up. So that means the next person is not going to be able to afford the house. They're going to beat you down on the price. Your tenants may not be able to pay you enough rent to cover what you need to make as far as a yield against inflation. No one's going to tell you that. They're going to sell you the house, the rent house, the flip house and say, it's a great investment. It's like the same thing we've done the last five years. And the truth is it has fatal flaws. What gets to the top of a market is the one that has the least amount of room for error. It has the greatest room for deterioration value value and being pulled back down causing a loss of principal, loss of investment dollars. So, I need to know what the fatal flaws are. So, if you were an oil and gas, somebody might say, well, yeah, go drill an oil well. What's it, what's the worst thing that could happen? Oh, it can be a dry hole. That's not the worst thing that can happen. Many of you are probably going to be shocked. The worst thing that can happen in a dry hole is the person that sold it to you didn't actually pay for the dry hole, they kept your money. The well-drilled good or bad, they tell you it's a dry hole. So now it's a Ponzi scheme. But what's worse is the IRS audits you and finds out that they didn't drill the well, so you don't even get the tax right. You don't get the tax write-offs, your money's stolen. You can't even take a write-off on the money that's stolen unless you hire a lawyer to go sue them and show the IRS you legitimately tried to recover your money. That's worse than a dry hole. But you think a dry hole is the worst thing that can happen to you. And that's why I say with any investment, I better know the fatal flaws. And the fatal flaws are not going to be obvious because if you, show, if you saw the flaws, you wouldn't make the investment. You wouldn't get in that investment class. You wouldn't start that business. There's a ton of investment flaws. There's a ton of terminal failures. And sometimes the only way to know that is you got to do like me. You got to have 36, almost 37 years of business experience and say, I've done that before. I've seen that before. I've seen that trick played out. I've seen how this has played out. And therefore, I am going to be a lot smarter and wiser. There is a reason you join investment clubs. And by the way, when you join these investment investment clubs, or you have what they call these aggregators and gatherers online, they all are driven by fees. They all act like you're your buddy. Hey, we've created this investment group. And guess what? We're all going to do this together. Guess what? You're nothing more than sheep that they're going to shear because you sit there and let them convince you that they're a nice, gentle person who's going to put you in all these deals and they do it because they just love you and love the way your return going to be. That is horse nonsense. The truth of the matter is use your common sense. How about asking for a track record? How about asking for a proof of concept? How about saying, invite me to one of your partners here. let me talk to 10 of your other partners. When do you have a gathering of your partners so I can ask them? Let me compare your strategy in that particular investment sector to other participants in that investment sector. Let me measure them one by one. By the way, Mr. Sponsor, Mr. Investment Offer, why don't you tell me who my five potential other competitors are? Who's your five competitors in your space? If you're doing multi-family multifamily uh, housing and you're raising partnership money or LLC money, tell me who the four biggest competitors you are that are in multifamily. I don't need the billion dollar company. If you're raising four apartment deals a year, tell me who else raised private apartment deals a year. And let me compare them. Oh, well, I don't really know who that is. That's BS. Of course you know who it is. They're fighting for the same investment dollars. Now, this applies in business. As I mentioned before, the half hour, this applies in in investments. Know what you're up against. You've got to really ask yourself at both the business side and the investment side, what do you expect to get out of it? So let's take an investment. Let's say you're going to go in and buy uh, interest in in an oil well. Well, what are you doing it for? I need the tax write-offs. Big deal. If you want a write-off, just go throw your money down a drain. You got a loss. The IRS will give you a write-off. What are you doing it for? Well, I would like to make income. I'd like to reduce my taxes and get some kind of tax deferment. I would hope I can make a good rate of return commensurate with the risk. And I'd hope that it works so I could keep doing it with the same company, the same kind of opportunities and create a portfolio of producing oil and gas wells. Well, that makes a lot more sense. If you're only doing it for a tax write-off or tax loss, Hand me your $100,000 I'll burn it with a match. You got your loss. You told me that's what you wanted. You wanted a write-off. Do you want a write-off? I don't. I want to make money. The fact it has a write-off, that is an attribute or characteristic of investing in Wells. All right, let's step forward. I'm going to give you an example. So, I want to start a new business. Here's the way out. There's three things I'm looking at when I start a business. Now, that's not everything. It's not all the time. I'm just saying in general, these are the three things I look at. How am I going to launch it? how am I going to mature it? And then what's the pinnacle valuation? Now, let me help everybody understand something. I've had hundreds and hundreds of investors as partners for the last 36 years. And I don't even know how many senior elder investors who created family businesses and they've realized in their 60s and 70s, their kids are not going to run the business. Their kids are out playing. All they want's money. They don't have any heirs. And they're watching this business they built their entire life sit on this, on this edge, this razor's edge. And the razor's edge is, what do I do with it? Do I sell it? Do I not sell it? And I will tell you the majority of the time, they never sell. They hold it thinking they're going to give, a, a, you know, they're going to sell it after they die. They're going to give the money to the kids. They're going to give the kids are going to come run the business. And what I've seen, the majority of my observation is when they get down to it, their health fails. They don't sell it. Their state gets it. They sell it like a fire sale. And it's beautiful, wonder, wonderful, $20, $50, $100 million business is in shambles and sells for pennies on the dollar. Why? Because there is a day in time when things have reached its maximum maturity. So, let's go through the, the process and I'll get to that point of liquidation or at least a decision-making of the pinnacle valuation. Let's talk about the launch. Now, I, did, I, I, I don't know how many startups and deal, the projects and new ventures I've done. Well over a 1,000 in my, in my career. I mean, well over a 1,000. I'm really, really good at dissecting, starting and creating these these, these business ideas, okay? In my view, you got to have what I call the launch. The launch is, what's the idea? What people do you need? Okay. Who is your customer? Very, very clearly defined. Who is my customer that is going to buy my service or my product? And then I need to know who the competition is. I don't really care about the competition because if I do my job right, my product and my service is really good and I price it right, I'm going to find that customer. But in the meantime, that customer is using somebody else. And the best way for me to get my business growing is to get customers already in that space to realize that my business, my product, my service is better in all types of fashions, both money wise, service wise, execution, product is better than who they're using today. And, in, and I need to look at those brand new customers coming into the market. I need to write down the launch. The launch is the idea, the people involved. The customer and the company. And then with each category, I've got to write down details. What is the idea? Start to finish. How do I grow the idea? Start to finish. How many of those services or products do I need to have? What people do I have to have? And what people would I like to have? There's a big difference, by the way. If I'm rowing a boat in the ocean, I only need one person, me, because I don't want the food eating. So I can, I can row by myself. But if I got to row at a certain speed to get across a certain river, and I need three people that are strong enough to help me row. Well, then I need four people, me and three guys or three gals or a combination to get that row in the water, and get across that raging river to survive. Then it's not just me. I need four of us, right? This is how you have to evaluate a business. It's, it's who you need, who you want to have. It's okay to put them on the list, but you can't have those people on your list until you have the money to pay for them. It's got to be the customer. You got to be clear on the customer. You can't go, well, this guy hates seafood, but he might try fried shrimp, No, he just said he doesn't like seafood. You can count that guy or that gal out as being somebody who's going to buy your seafood. What you have to figure out is what your service or what your customer is and say to yourself, for me to make it work, I'm going to have to have the right customer identified. And that's who I'm going to market to. That's who I'm going to make my product and service to. And I'm going to make that accessible to that potential customer by making them aware that I have my business. And then the competition is simply knowing what are they saying to the market? What are they doing to the market? Who are they attacking the market? Where are there gaps in the market? Where are the customers that they're not going after? And a lot of times you'll have you'll be surprised how many voids there are in the market that you can go grab those customers because everybody else has overlooked them. Business owners are like sheep. They follow the same path and they all get sheared, right? Now, what's the maturation side? Remember, we're maturing toward this question I asked at the beginning of the show. Is knowing when to exit as important as getting into an opportunity? Is, it, is exiting this business as important as the very beginning launch? And the answer is absolutely yes. I have a business I've been in it for 13 years. I had this business generate $140 million in cash product. I had a business that we had potential ongoing conversations in the couple of hundred million dollar range. And today, that business is worth 10 cents on the dollar because we didn't sell. The majority owners were hard-headed and what we ended up with, we ended up with a business that reached over the top. It matured. I use my banana cake as a great example of of over mature assets. I will buy bananas because I like them. I will deliberately hide or not eat a certain number of bananas because I know when they get to a certain point of being rotten, they make great banana nut bread. Okay, But like those bananas, when they get to a certain point of being right, they don't taste good enough that I want to eat them as a banana. They need to be turned into something else. Every business, every event, every investment generally has a day of reckoning where they no longer see value increasing. Now it's a time for harvesting and cultivation and, and, and utilization. So in a business, I'm going to ask myself, what's that maturation? Well, first off is the pace. Okay, my business is going through that right now. My business is going through the pace. We are absolutely drinking from a fire hose right now. Same number of people. We're probably going to double or triple our business in 2022 from last year. We're trying to selectively choose only the very necessary people like I talked about, but now we're drinking from a fire hose. The pace is tremendous. It's good, but it can be horrible. It's good if the pace provides you opportunity, a way to grow and satisfy your customers. It's not a good pace if you find yourself tripping and falling. That is the wrong pace. I need to figure out who the runners are. I got to figure out during this maturity stage, this maturation stage, who the runners are. Who's going to be able to do what, when? Kind of like a, a mile relay. Who starts? Who's in the middle? Who's third? And who's last? And each leg is incredibly important when you think about that particular kind of display. Why is that? Because at the end of the day, it's critically important positioning your runners, knowing who they are, reminding them of their tasks allows you to make that maturation continue forward. It is really important to know what your markers are. Every time one of those runners comes around that mile relay, somebody's got a clock and they're ticking, hey, that was a 54 uh, quarter, that was a 52 quarter, that was a 49 quarter, hey, we're ahead, we're behind. The markers are not a way for you to decide during the process you're winning or losing. It's a way to tell you if you are succeeding in moving the ball forward to reach the end goal. Some people are strong starters and they are terrible at finishing. Some people are really, really good at finishing. They're not real good at starting. So you got to decide how your team's going to be made up because this is the maturation phase. Then we get to the, the exit, the pinnacle valuation stage. Now, this goes to investments. This goes to businesses. And this goes to relationships. All right. And I'll throw that in here in a second. The pinnacle valuation is as follows. When is it best? Watch this. Don't be Don't be shy the question is, when is it right for you to get out? Not your employees, not your wife, not your husband, not your share. When is it the best chance for you to get out based on what you see from the launching and the maturation? Why is that? Because if I'm in a position of not being able to be motivated to move forward, I actually become the cancer. I become the ball and chain. I become the deterrent because I lose confidence that more effort out of me Is going to help the company grow, the business grow, the investment grow. It's more like I'm going to probably go backwards than forward. So, I got to know what's in it for me and is it the right time for me to reach that pinnacle valuation and get out? It's the right time for your employees. You know, maybe you have a, a buyer who wants to buy your company, They want to pay you a premium. They want to pay you what you're asking, but it's also, hey, we're going to merge my business with this other guy's business and he's got more contracts, more government contracts. He's going to grow and expand and this will become a unit underneath his bigger business. That's going to give my employees a much, much better situation. Well, then now all of a sudden, I've got what I want. It's good for my employees. How about your investors? Now, why are the investors last? Should it be that way? Of course, it should be and they don't want to hear that, but it should be, why? If I'm not motivated, I don't care what's going on with my employees. I'm not making the money. I hate what I do. If my employees aren't motivated and they're not happy, then they're not going to do the work necessary to make the execution take place. The investors have to come third because why? If you don't have a leader and you don't have people pulling the wagon, those investors, dollars, investments are going to sit stagnant. The same thing happens in a business as it does in the investment world. You've got to be in a situation where the pinnacle valuation is a sequence of successful ideas that give you the conclusion that this is a pinnacle valuation point. It's time to exit. And the last one is, is it good for your creditors? Now, they're last of all because at the end of the day, they took the position of being last, other than maybe having liens and cash flow, but that is the way it works. All right. So let's talk about how that works as far as your decision. Now, I can tell you, I'm not a very emotional person when it comes to divesting assets. I've been drilling oil and gas wells my whole career. I might, no telling how much money we'll spend on preparing a well, getting seismic, drilling a well. We go out and we are actually finding out the results of the well. We're going to run down this electronic tools in the hole. It's going to tell us if we have oil and gas, water, enough, not enough, dry hole, good well, weak well, we don't know. But when I get out there, I made my mind up 36 years ago. It is money spent. I cannot get it back. So whatever the results are, they are what they are. At that point in time, I have to make the next best decision, which is, do I spend more money chasing a mediocre well? Do I try to complete a well that the geologists and geophysicists and the engineers say it's a Pitiful, well, you can complete it. You probably want to make your money back for the pipe you put in it, but if it makes you feel better, you can complete it. You've got to get to a point where you have to control your emotions. And some people just can't do it. Oh, it's been my family business for 40 years. You know what? My granddad Eckard would be much happier if I sold my business at the top of the market before it crashed than hang on to it because out of pride, I run his business into the ground and I sell it for pennies in the dollar or a liquidator or a file bankruptcy. I think they'd much rather know I respect all the hard work they've done to put the business in a position of being able to reap that reward. Sometimes when you have cows and you're headed into a drought, maybe you wanna be the first person selling all your livestock in May before the drought occurs because you'll get the best price for those cows. Guess what everybody's gonna get it August and September, they're gonna get the lowest price because they're gonna have a bunch of skinny cows that are thirsty that have lost a lot of weight and there's gonna be so many of them, you're gonna be too much supply and not enough demand. But very few people sell in May, everybody sells in August. That's my whole point. You've got to know when to exit when you reach that pinnacle valuation in your career, in your investment decisions. You know, I got out of the stock market in 2020. Yeah, no, not 2020. let's say 2021. I got out in about April. So, it was about a year ago. And the reason I did that is, is I felt like there was not much more room to the upside. So, I'm taking just as much risk and I'm not going to get much to the upside. So, why would I take the same risk for virtually no return? I wasn't. I got out. I've had a lot of people tell me, oh, I've made great money in the last 12 months. Really? Show me how you made it. One stock? you buy GameStop? What, would you buy the one winner? I want to see your portfolio. I want to see what your average return was from last year to this year. And the answer is most of them have not even made but single digit returns, if that. So for me, it's about knowing what the emotion, what my time is worth. Why do I run to run a business that if I went and worked for somebody else who was going to pay me $200,000 a year and I'm not even pulling $200,000 a year out of my own business? I don't have a business I've substituted my job. I work for myself, but I'm making less than I would make by working for somebody else. Oh, yeah, but I have my own freedom. I'm my own boss. You know what? If I can make twice the money, I'll take my vacation. I'll put the other money in the bank. I'll retire twice as fast. Then I have all the time I want because I retired at 50 instead of 70. So you got to remember what your time was. Your time is something you can't replace. So in that exit, if your business has reached a certain point, and you know that there's not much more bandwidth. You can't hire more people. You need a new business, a new building. You got to hire five more engineers. You go, man, I just don't want to do that. But now you got to start telling yourself, I've reached the point of the minimis returns. I don't have it in me. I don't want to expand. I don't want to get bigger. So now I've got this engine running at full speed. Do I want to take the opportunity to divest it, re- rake those dollars off the board, properly tax plan and put those into an investment or whatever I'm gonna do. And that allows me the ability to have free time to maybe start a second idea or a third idea or a fourth idea, All right. When are you when do you want to get out of an investment? Let's say you make an investment in an oil well. Do you keep it until it goes dry? Do you buy it, get your tax write off and sell it? Do you buy a piece of real estate, say I'm gonna own that rent house for the next 25 years? Really? You want to go try to put a 25 year old house that was already 20 years old when you bought it for rental property and you're gonna try to get it New roof and, and remodeled and make it look modern. And yeah, rates went up. Is that really what you want to do? I don't know. Not me. I don't. I don't want to put $250,000 in a single residential house knowing that maybe 11 months out of the year, I'm getting rent. Person moves out, rent goes up, rent goes down. The government gives forbearance. They don't want you to pay rent. And a lot of people make a lot of money in, in single family homes. I, I, absolutely not me. It's like being a rancher with one cow. That cow stops giving calves every year. I'm in trouble, right? I need 100 cows hoping that 80 will have delivery of great brand new baby calves that I can go sell in the auction. I know that 20 won't make it or they'll have problems or the calves will die. In rent houses, that's how I feel about it. Multifamily. You say you're in a multifamily, but that's one investment. Do you need to be in 10 multifamily? When you're thinking about a, a, a business, do you have one customer? I don't know how many people I tell you, yeah, my biggest customer is 85% of my business. Woo! You better be nice. A lot of my clients will ask me, Troy, why are you working so hard to find brand new parts? And tell you what. What I've noticed about my career the last 36 years is the clients that I had that were my very, very best clients. I mean, we did great things back in the early 80s, 90s. They've all died. They're not here anymore. It's just attrition, all right? So, let me give you a couple examples before we get out of here. One thing I was asked is, why do I always do my shows without a guest speaker? Well, I'll be candid. It's hard to find somebody I enjoy talking with. It's hard for me to find somebody who doesn't come on and they give me very, very thin input talking crypto. Well, I've been in crypto for four years and I do this and they're trying to get you onto Bitcoin. You know, there's a lot of value in the 36 years of experience that. So, I want to make sure I have the opportunity to share that. And I'm going to have some guest speakers later in the year, but right now I'm having too much fun on my own. So, let me give you some examples. So, I have a client who had a great business making a lot of money. Um, He was at a point about five or six years ago, we had this long, deep conversation. He said, you know, I'm trying to plan for the kids and what I should do. And I said, can I be honest with you? And he said, yep. Now we've been friends quite a while, but I want you to think about one thing. With all your kids you have, one of them's going to have to be the decision maker. Will that person be the person who's going to make the right decision in managing the money and managing the business? Well, I sure hope so. I said, wouldn't it be better if your business is doing so good to go sell that business, put the money in a trust, and equally divide that between your four kids instead of worrying about having a terminal exit that's not by your choice, by your designer at the right time. He said, you're right. You know what happened? He never did it. The estate's a mess. One kid is messing up for all the other three. They probably lost over 50% of the value in the business. It looks like a train wreck. I can just tell you whenever I get ready to sell a house, the same thing happens. I have to decide what the market looks like and I don't get emotionally attached. Well, oh, I love this house. I love the backyard. You know what? I just sold my house last year. Twice the price I paid for it. You know why? because that's what the market said the house is worth. And I said, I would never pay that price for my house. But if somebody will pay me double what I paid for it, I'm going to sell it to them because why? I want to go do it again and buy another property that I think I can turn into twice the price. So, in money and life and with everything that's going on, it's really important that you think about where am I going to end up? Where is the exit in my marriage, in my relationships, in my job, and in my investments? It's really important that as you leave the show today, you ask yourself a question. Why do large multi-story buildings after the foundation start creating the framework for the staircase that is the exit to get out? It's because they know that the exit is the most important thing right after the commencement or the foundation of anything is established. The commencement is from day one. I'm going to start this. But if all things negative inside my control and outside my control occur, how am I going to get out and give myself a second chance at a new start. Hey, listen, my name is Troy Eckerd. This is Talk with the Texan Money and Life. I am honored to have you as my guest and keep bringing the ideas. I love what you're doing. You guys have a fantastic week and thanks for everything.
0: Thanks to all our incredible friends for joining Troy for today's show Talk with the Texan Money and Life. Please join your host, Troy Eckerd, for another edition of the program every Monday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Follow Troy, engage him, challenge him, but most importantly, listen to him. Three decades of expertise at your disposal. We'll see you here next week.